welcome to everyone this morning. And if you're a guest with us today, we welcome you. Those of you that are watching us online, we welcome you as a part of this service today. It's wonderful to have Brother Ron Richards back in service with us after his last several weeks. Brother Richards has had six, correct, six strokes, and he's still here. Not only has he had six strokes, he was in the hospital for COVID, and he's still here. Praise God. Amen. Would you stand? Turn to John chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading with verse number 7. John 10 and verse number 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, not a door. Not a door. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go out, shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not. The thief cometh not. Let me paraphrase that. The only reason the thief comes. is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's not happy with just stealing. He wants to steal and kill. You'd think stealing and killing would be enough, but he wants to destroy. That's why he comes. I don't care what his sales pitch is. I don't care what advertising he does. Read the fine print. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come. I am come. That they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly I don't want to just come give you life I want to give you abundant life how in the world any human being could accept the thief and reject the life giver I do not understand I don't understand I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, that's real life. 
That's real life. Father, thank you so much for your presence that we have recognized in this place this morning. Thank you, God, for you have already touched and ministered to people in this place. God, I I believe miracles have been done this morning. We may not have been able to see them with our natural eye, but miracles have been done. Lives have been touched and strengthened, changed already by the working of your Spirit in this service this morning. God, I pray now that you would speak to us as a part of the ministry of this service. Not a sermon, God, but a message, a word that would come from you. I trust you this morning, God, that your anointing would rest upon me to be a messenger to this congregation, to those that may be watching this morning, that it would be a word that would come from you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. I trust in you today, Father. I depend upon you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The thief cometh to steal, to kill, and destroy. The scary thing is the thief has an idea of what appeals to us. He doesn't use a one-size-fits-all approach. He recognizes your tendencies, your weaknesses, the things that appeal to your flesh, and those are the ways he tries to get a foothold in your life. And he comes with great promises. He comes with wonderful promises. He may not articulate them to every single individual, but the implication is he makes some really great promises of what he will do for you. The pleasure you will have. The scripture tells us plainly, there is, there is pleasure in sin. Sin can be fun. Sin can be exciting. If you as a parent somehow try to parent your child, training them up in the way they should go, if you send the message to them, sin's not fun, they're going to try something. It's going to be a bad thing when they try it and it's fun when you told them it's not fun. It is fun, but that's not where the scripture's declaration stops. It says there's pleasure in sin, but that sin is only for a season. And the season will end. If no other way, it's going to end when you breathe your last breath. Hopefully, by the grace of God, that season will end before you die so that hopefully you'll learn how to live. But one way or the other, he's going to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, here's why I've come. Don't let the devil deceive you to think otherwise. Don't let the devil convince you as to what my motives are. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Once again, as has often been the case in my 30 plus years of ministry, I get inspiration for messages from all kinds of places. 
Earlier this week, I was at the Y trying to get a little bit of exercise in. And I, I overheard a group of young adults. I would guesstimate they were somewhere around 20, give or take a year or two at the most would be my guess. And there was, there was a girl, which was really interesting. I, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know what you're, but this, there are certain things I expect to hear guys say. You just don't really expect to hear a, a lady say. And uh, they, 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 this, this girl was telling another guy in particular, you know, well, so and so and I or whatever. We 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 were in Puerto Rico last week. Oh yeah, how was that? Oh, it was great. Oh, oh, oh yeah. And we're going back in a couple of weeks, I think she said. And then she proceeded to tell him this about the most epic part of that trip was the fact that whatever bars they went in, they never got carded. And his response is the title of my message. That's real life. I'm standing there, I don't know what I was doing at that moment, but I'm listening to that, and I began to think, if your definition of real life is that as an underage individual, you would be able to go in and out of any bar you choose and be served alcohol, if that's real life, God have mercy upon you. Because, excuse the grammar, but that ain't real life. Because that's a pathway to stealing, killing, and destroying. You see, here's the way it works. The enemy promises you freedom and it leads to bondage. He promises you a life of doing whatever you want to do, however you want to live, knowing that it leads to bondage. Jesus invites you to a life of bondage, knowing that it's going to lead to freedom. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross and follow me. You, you got to give up your will. You got to give up your preferences. You got to enter into a yoke that seems like bondage. But let me tell you, if you'll get in this yoke with me and go where I'm going, I've got life and life more abundantly. There are people in this sanctuary today that thankfully you can testify to the fact you were on the path of stealing, killing, and destroying. And maybe some things had gotten damaged. But God, who is rich in mercy, stepped onto the scene of your life. And rather than that process being completed, you found out what the power of the blood of Jesus could do. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's real life. 
to, to, to the young man's statement of that's real life. That's real life. Reaching the point where you lose all of your inhibition and do things you would have never done in your sober mind and have somebody have to tell you the next day what you did that you didn't even know you did. That's real life. I'm going to tell you part of real life. It's not the only part, but let me tell you a part of real life. A part of real life is waking on, waking up on Sunday morning and not regretting what I did on Saturday night or waking up on Saturday morning and not regretting what I did on Friday night because in spite of what human, humanistic philosophy may tell us, every individual is born with a God-given conscience that has the ability without the Word of God to recognize what is right and what is wrong. Oh, hallelujah. Boy, I feel a preach this morning. Hallelujah. I ain't felt that in a little while. <laughs> steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. I've come to provide life, real, genuine life. Barnes note says, not merely have life simple, but they shall not merely have life simple, bare existence, but they shall have all those super added things which are... I was about to make a point. See, if I was smart, I'd stop telling you all when I forget and remember. I wouldn't tell you that I forgot and remembered, but... Go back to that conscience for a moment. Do you know that science, science backs up biblical principles? But you can, you can apply that in a lot of ways. But in the context of this, things that we write off as being spiritual things actually have physical repercussions. The Conquer series, it's a DVD series to help men that are battling pornography overcome pornography. In that series, they talk a lot about the brain and what happens to the brain. Pornography, the statement is made in this series, pornography starts as a moral issue but becomes a brain problem. Which is why you can't just tell somebody that's addicted to pornography or any other thing for that matter. Just get over it. Because your brain physically changes. And do you know that scientifically... When you go against what you know to be right and wrong, the deadening of your conscience is an actual change in your brain. You are changing your brain every time, which is why the more you participate in something that you know to be sin, the less bad you feel about it. Because you're deadening your conscience, but it's impacting your brain. 
They're not going to merely have life simple, bare existence, but they shall have all those super added things which are needful to make that life eminently blessed and happy. It would be vast mercy to keep men merely from annihilation or hell. If all God did for you and I was save our souls from eternity, could you complain? If the only thing God did for you and I was to keep us from, was to provide salvation so that we did not have to spend eternity in hell, but he did nothing else for you, suffered through all kinds of stuff, you went through all kind of pain and heartache and difficulty, would that be unfair? But thankfully, he doesn't just stop at giving us salvation. But Jesus will give them eternal joy, peace, the society of the blessed, and all those exalted means of felicity which are prepared for them in the world of glory. So not only do I get what's coming in the next life, but there's also things in this life. That God blesses me with here and now. Jameson Fawcett and Brown says, I came not, I came not to preserve a life already possessed, but to impart a life before unknown and to communicate it in rich and unfailing exuberance. Some of us were blessed to be born and raised in church, and so our experience is a little bit different than a lot of you, but is there anybody here today that can testify that God has imparted to you a life that you used to not know? That the life you live now... It's so much different than the life you lived before. In fact, the life you lived before didn't give you any basis to expect the life that you have now. But one day there was a door, the door that was open to you. And you repented of your sins and you were baptized in the name of Jesus. And you were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost as evidenced by speaking in tongues. And you entered into a new life that his life more abundantly. Proverbs 5 and verse number 3 says this, for the lips of, and I'm going to, this is the uh, New Living Translation, I'm just going to read this one for the sake of time and just to give you a little more common language for us today. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, but in the end, she is as bitter, as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Tell you young men something that are single. She may look good. But you better make sure if if she's moral or not. Because if she's immoral, she's going to have some sweet as honey things to tell you. Her mouth's going to be smoother than oil. But her steps are taking you to the grave. 
for she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. I I am more and more challenged in just my own personal relationship walk with God. Not, Not any ministry role, not any responsibility title, but I am more and more challenged by the fact that the Word of God is full of all of the answers and explanations that you need. And that all of this worldly carnal mentality that is impacting believers, the Bible is full of explanations as to why. That thinking is faulty and you should not let it affect your thinking. And yet human nature is. We find the lips that are sweet as honey and the mouth that is smoother than oil and think. See, I think the problem is every person thinks they're the first person that can play with fire and not get burned. You know the... I don't know about the only, but I'll tell you someone that actually can play with fire and not get burned, but really they're getting burned, but the problem is they don't know they're getting burned. That's a leper. And the leper can play with fire and they don't feel like they're getting burned, and so the problem is they continue in doing that to the damage of their body. It's a scary thing when you're getting burned. But your senses are now deadened to the fact that you are destroying your soul. Oh, Jesus. She cares nothing about the path to life. John D. Rockefeller is considered to be the richest man in history. The richest man in history. The end of the 1800s, he began making his money through the oil industry. Into the 1900s, he continued to accumulate his wealth, wealth based on uh, propane and gasoline. His net worth figures for him are a bit skewed, but his $1.4 billion in olden day money would be worth several hundred billion now. Some scholars estimate that he would be worth $400 billion today. For scale, that's three times more than today's richest person, Jeff Bezos, founder, I guess, of Amazon. He would be three times richer than today's wealthiest person. And again, is considered the richest person in all of history. And on his deathbed, it is said that someone asked him the question, remember, $400 billion in today's 
He's laying on his deathbed $400 billion in today's term. I got a question. Is there any person in this place that thinks you would struggle trying to live on $400 billion? I mean, a billion's good enough for me. And with $400 billion in today's terms to his name, he was asked the question, how much money does it take to be happy? How much money? The fact they're asking the question implies he's not happy. And he replied, he replied, get ready, you ready for this? Just a little bit more. I just got to tell you, if you didn't get happy at the first billion, if you weren't just ecstatic and wonderfully blessed at the first billion, 401 billion is not going to do the trick. Now, most of us here will never really know what it's like to have more money than we need and not be happy. But there is example after example after example. There's biblical examples and the world is full of examples of those that have more money than they could ever do anything with and are absolutely still miserable. So why in the world you think you'd be the first person to have all the money and the money alone make you happy? You only demonstrate what kind of a fool you are. The old saying is, money can't buy happiness. And then somebody's added to that to say something like, well, it sure can't help. No, it can't. It can provide opportunities. But the bottom line is, if you don't already go into the opportunity with happiness, it's not going to change it. There may be that momentary pleasure, but it's not going to bring long-term fulfillment. Let me tell you something. Uh, the Bible doesn't condone divorce, so let me just throw that out there. There are a reason or two, but I'm just going to tell you, if you've gotten married one time and it didn't work out, and you get married again and that doesn't work out, you really should start thinking. The problem here might be the person that's the same in every one of these marriages. Of course, that's not the way. We always got, we always know it's somebody else's problem. We always know the real issue is somebody else's. If it's marriage, it's always your spouse. I mean, come on, it's never you. If it's parent and child, it's always the kid that's the problem and the issue. Parents never could be the problem. Workplace, it's always your boss that's the problem. Never you, right? Oh, oh I got to start right here. Because if I can enter into life, and life more abundantly, all of the, the, the circumstantial stuff around me becomes no big deal. Listen, listen, just 
see this this it really shouldn't be no surprise what Rockefeller said, assuming he said that. <laughs> because listen to what the wise man says in Proverbs thirty and verse fifteen. The horse leech hath two daughters, crying, Give, give. The uh, the message Bible says it like this. A leech has twin daughters named Gimme and Gimme More. <laughs> Almost without fail, when I take the kids to my office after a lot of services for a lollipop or Smarties right now, somebody is not content with one hand. Why take one when I can hold two? Never enough. Why eat two cookies when there's a plate of dozens of cookies? The horse leech had two daughters crying, give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not it is enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not it is enough. The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother. The ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. These things can never be satisfied. Fire is never content with burning what it's burning. It wants more. That's why it's a dangerous thing when you open the door. It's a whole lot easier to keep a closed door closed than it is to keep an enemy out with an open door. I don't know, maybe there's some individual, I guess the strongest man in the world, but the average person, I, I, if they're on the other side of this door was an enemy... Somebody threatening me, pulling on the door. I'm not going to be afraid because it's a closed door. But if I open the door, it's now becomes about who has the more strength. Because if they've got more strength, I can pull as hard as I want to keep it closed, but they're probably going to overpower me. Oh, the enemy, the enemy, the enemy is the master marketer. He is the absolute most deceitful marketer. And he doesn't give up. We went years ago now. I think we only had a couple of kids back then. So it was a long time ago. We were, we were at that point... We, you know, I mean, we ain't rolling in dough now, but I'm telling you back then, we, we, so somebody, somebody had gone to a timeshare place and signed us up as one of those references. And so we get that three nights, two nights, three days or whatever. And of course you sit through the presentation. So that point in time, we'd take any getaway we could. We couldn't afford it. We went there and. 
enjoyed, you know, our time. And, of course, then we go and sit down for this presentation. Actually, I think we took a, uh, a van ride or car ride around the, the resort, you know, showing everything. And we went with the agreement, we will not purchase a timeshare. We're just getting a free couple of nights stay. So we went through all that. We sit down, and the person that's working with us says, "Now let me, I mean, here's so here's what you know, here's what we can offer you, and here's how much it is, and blah 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 blah." And 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 we, nope, no thanks, we're not interested. Oh, give me one minute. Let me go. I'll be right back. They come back, and literally, I think it was close to offering us without any request, offering us half cost of what they first said. Unfortunately, at that moment, the response was not quite as quick as the first one. Well, uh, oh, man. No, no, we can't. Hold on. Give me a minute. I think it happened two different times. Came back. Thankfully, I know you're all sitting here knowing you're confident we bought that timeshare. I am happy to tell you we didn't. Not that I have any issues with timeshare. I'm just saying we didn't succumb. (laughs) But they weren't giving up. Neither does the enemy. The problem is when he first shows up, he's got billboards out almost. But you recognize, nah, you're getting me down that. No, I'd never go there. And, and so, you know, he, he leaves you alone, but then he comes back and the next time it's a, it's a little bit more deceptive. And you start, you know, not, no, I won't. But every time you entertain it, you become less likely that you're going to deny it. Back to all the single folks today. I know, even amongst apostolics, what we teach at this church with regards to couples dating is the exception, not the rule. I don't care how anybody conducts themselves, that doesn't change what we stand for. And the bottom line, we teach, according to what Paul said, it's good for a man not to touch a woman if you ain't married. Because when you do, you start a fire. And if you touch the opposite sex and you don't start a fire, you need to go pray. The problem is when you start that fire, it's never enough. Sorry, three kids are here. My apologies. Y'all can run out to the bathroom real quick if you want or plug your ears. My wife and I still, we don't do it every single time, but it's, it's not uncommon for us to ride down the road in the car holding hands. I like that. I like the, what that's communicating both ways. But I'm going to tell you what. I've done more than hold her hand. And holding her hand is no longer about a good feeling. I mean, the first time or two, yeah, woo, it was like electricity. 
I don't get electricity anymore when I hold her hand. That's about affection and expression because it's never enough. Why Paul said it's better to marry than to burn. And if you can be, never mind, never enough, (laughs) never enough. And I will tell you this, the closer you get emotionally, the less enough. Well, hallelujah. The only kids I see in this place should be small enough they don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 16 and 11. Thou wilt show me the, there it is again, the. You, you know, sometimes the word the, a, whatever, we just, you know, there, but I mean, there's some times I think that word is significant. He didn't say, you will show me a path of life. He said, you will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen to what Barnes Note says about this fullness of joy. Not partial joy, not imperfect joy, not joy intermingled with pain and sorrow, not joy which though in itself real does not satisfy the desires of the soul as is the case with much of the happiness which we experience in this life, but joy full, satisfying, unalloyed, unalloyed, unclouded, unmingled with anything that would diminish its fullness or its brightness, joy that will not be diminished as all earthly joys must be by the feeling that it must soon come to an end. I, I, I love going on a vacation. I love going on vacation. The problem is it ends. I don't know about yours, but the majority of ours always ended way quicker than I wanted. It's kind of like the holidays. I love, I love Christmas time. We decorate, we got traditions, we do all, we, I love it, but man, almost without fail, Christmas evening, it's like depression sets in. I doubt about the presents. I mean, just, it's, it's over. We got to get back to, you know, normal life here comes to an end. But what God offers is an ending. Because death appears to be the end. But for the child of God, death is actually the beginning. <laughs> it's not the end, it's the beginning. For those who are not walking the path of life, death is the end in more ways than one. But to the child of God who is walking in the path of life, it never ends. It never ends. Solomon, somehow Solomon 
got a hold of this from his dad. This idea of the path of life. Because in Proverbs 12 and 28 he says this. In the way of righteousness is life. And in the pathway thereof there is no death. In Proverbs 4 and verse 14 he says this. Enter not into the pathway of the wicked and go not into the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. For they sleep not except they have done mischief and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they They are life unto those that find them and help to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. What is so sad about Solomon is that while he makes statements like the ones I have just read to you, he makes statements about an intellectual knowledge, if you will, about what the path of life is. Unfortunately for Solomon, he didn't practice what he preached, and he didn't practice what his father had instilled into him. I don't, I don't, please, and I'm going to say this and it's going to sound facetious. I get that and, and, and whatever, but just let me preface to say, I, I don't mean this in, in a bad, negative way, okay? But I got no interest in having more than one wife. I am perfectly content with one. And you know what? The one I have has flaws. And she's married to one that's full of flaws. I'm not naive enough to think, well, if I added a second one. Because more than likely the second one would have a whole different set of flaws. Solomon. How many many wives did he have? A lot, yeah. But a lot, I mean, a lot to us is four or five. He had a lot, lot. He had a lot squared. (laughs) And then on top of that, if I'm not mistaken, he also had a bunch of concubines. Solomon. You'd have thought after the second or third one that that's not the path of life. And yet somehow you were deceived to think, well, if I can just get one more wife, just one more concubine, I'll be, no, no, no. If I can just get a little bit more money, if I can drive just a little nicer car, if I can live in a little nicer neighborhood, if I can have a little more uppity up friends, I will not, no, no, no. There is a path of life and that path of life starts with a door and that door is Jesus and he is the way the truth and the life Solomon prayed a prayer 
Sounded like a really great prayer. If you want to take the prayer at face value, I think it's a prayer any of us would think, you know, that's a great prayer to pray. He said, he said, Lord, don't give me so much. Don't let me get so rich that I forget you. Don't let me get so much that I don't need you anymore and I forget all about you. But then he said this, don't let me be so poor that I got to steal and beg and then I curse your name. He said, let me be somewhere in the middle. The problem I think with that prayer is that's really not something God does to us. We've got to make the decision. I've watched people throughout my lifetime growing up in this church, people in this church. For as long as I can remember, I've watched people that from an earthly standpoint were poor. No, no other way around it. Barely made enough to pay the rent on their apartment and just enough food. Didn't even own a car. And yet, I watched them be some of the most joyful people in the whole world. And then I watched others who got the nice cars and got the nice houses and had the great jobs and it was never enough. Because there's some things that are not ever satisfied. That's why you've got to decide what is it you're going to pursue. Are you going to pursue that which cannot satisfy you and will ultimately destroy you? Or are you going to pursue that that when you get it, all it causes you to want is to get more, but the outcome of it is life and life more abundantly? Romans 14 and 17, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy. You want a formula for life? You want a formula for a life worth living? You want the ingredients to a life Worth having? It's in the Holy Ghost. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. Because in the Holy Ghost there is righteousness, peace, and joy. See, the, the danger we have as believers is... We go through seasons where what used to satisfy us spiritually no longer satisfies us. But the problem is, what is our reaction to that? 
Because for some, the reaction to that is to lose hope in it. And to decide, this can't really make me happy. i got to go find something else. When what's supposed to happen is the response is supposed to be, you know what, if what I have just doesn't quite fulfill me anymore, really what's going on, he's trying to cause me to be hungry for more. Because whatever you and I have in our relationship with God, whatever level of peace and joy and righteousness we have, you have not plummeted the depths You can't comprehend how high, how wide, how deep what God has really is. Oh, Jesus. It's kind of sad when Christianity lowers itself to the appeal of a worldly appeal. Sow a seed offering so you can get rich. Give in the offering so you can get rich. So what you're just saying is let's, let's try another way of pursuing what cannot ultimately make me happy. I, I, am, I am very content with the life God has blessed me with. I am more than just content, because content sort of sounds like settling, but the wife that God has blessed me with, the kids that God has blessed me the house we live in, the vehicles we've been able to drive. I'm thankful for all of that. But i got to tell you, every now and then, and you know where it usually happens? Social media. I start seeing pictures or videos of houses and cars and things that are nicer than what I have. And I find myself becoming discontent. I find myself no longer being satisfied with what God has blessed me with. Somehow thinking, well, if we had a little bit Rockefeller, if you just had a little bit more, just think how happy you would be. It's never enough. I, I, I believe with all, I, obviously every time I preach to the best of my ability, it's what God wants me to say and believe that there's somebody it's for. But I just, I feel there's some, there's not just one person. There's some people in this place today that the Holy Ghost is trying to talk to you. There's some people in this place today that you're, he's already stolen some things. Brother Johnson texted me Friday and can you, can you give me a call? And I was in a meeting when he texted me and so I got done. I let him know as he called me, said, I just wanted to let you know <laughs> somebody is on both of two of the vans 
They've come and stolen the catalytic converter on both vans. Cut it right out. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows how long? Oh, Jesus. Somebody hear me, please. Who knows how long those vans have sat out there? Probably not months, but they don't get used every single week, per se. Who knows how long those vans have sat out there having that catalytic converter stolen? I'm preaching to somebody right now. Oh, gee, I thought I was done, but I... You don't even realize there's some things that have already been stolen out from under your nose. You don't even realize he's already stolen some things. And you're on the pathway to him killing. But oh, he's not going to be content with just stealing and killing. He's out to completely destroy you. I tell you, I'm not preaching, not that it doesn't apply, but I I just, I'm going to just make sure you get it. I, I, I don't feel this right now in the context of some brand new person here. There's somebody, you've been around here a while. You're not brand new at all this. You're not brand new in your walk with God, and the enemy's got a bullseye on your back. He's already stolen some things and you don't even know it. Oh, Jesus. Gee, I want you to bow your heads if you would, please. Come on. The Holy Ghost is trying to do something here today. You don't even know you've already lost some things. You don't even recognize that your passion for God and the things of God is... is pretty much dead because there's other things that's numbing you to that but oh I'm challenging you in the Holy Ghost today that's not real life that's not real life but in this place today there is offered to you and I life and life more abundantly as you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please, if you would. I'm appealing to somebody right now that you would get up out of your seat and make your way to this altar as an act of presenting yourself to the Lord today to say, God, I want to walk through that door once again that is the door of life. There have been some other situations and circumstances that are getting my attention Tension and other pathways that I'm finding myself tempted to walk down, but I'm not seeing the full outcome of that path. So God, help me today. Show me the path of life and I will walk in it. There's nothing wrong with a new car. There's nothing wrong with a new house. There's nothing wrong with new clothes. There's there's nothing wrong with going on a nice vacation. There's nothing wrong with those things. It's just the problem is if somehow you're counting on that to bring what bring to, to be what brings joy and peace and satisfaction, it never can do it. Come on, 
Come on, I appreciate those that have come, but I think there's, there's probably somebody else that still needs to respond to the Holy Ghost right now. Oh God, don't let me settle for an imitation of what's real life. Don't let me settle for a substitute God of what's real life. Don't let me sell my soul for something that is only going to steal, kill, and destroy God in the name of Jesus. If you don't feel a need to respond for yourself right now, you don't feel a need to pray for your own self right now, would you be sensitive to the Holy Ghost? Every breath. Come on, let the Spirit of the Lord, if you don't need to respond for yourself, let the Spirit of the Lord use you to minister to somebody else. Open our eyes, God. Remove every deception today. Remove every blindness the enemy has caused to come into our lives that we don't even see. We're not even aware of it, God, in the name of Jesus. You're the door. You're the way. You're not a way. You're not a way. You're the only way. You're the only way. You're the only way. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom. Seek ye first his righteousness. And all these things, all those things that you're pursuing to satisfy, that'll never satisfy you. Seek Him first, and He'll just give you some of those things. You seek Him first, and the stuff you've been pursuing because you thought it would make you happy, you'll find out He's more than willing just to give you those things. Whenever you need to go, you can go. But I, I just feel like if we do what the Lord wants us to do, we're going to be here a few more moments. If we respond to the Holy Ghost the way He's wanting, it's, it's going to be a few more moments. Come on, somebody's soul could be in the balance today. Somebody's soul could be hanging in the balance today. Today could be a deciding moment in somebody's eternity. Oh, Jesus. You don't need all the pain in your body gone to have joy. You don't need a perfect marriage, a perfect family to have joy. You don't have to have the perfect job to have joy. You got the Holy Ghost. You've got the source. There's righteousness. There's peace. And there's joy in the Holy Ghost. 
If you're single, there's nothing wrong with wanting to get married, but you're not going to get joy through your marriage alone. Be found in your arms. Our lives are Oh, Jesus. Inside. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Have your way right now. Have your way right now. Open somebody's eyes right now to see clearly, Lord. Open somebody's eyes right now to see clearly, see beyond the deception, see beyond the lies, see beyond the false promises of the enemy. Open eyes, open eyes, open eyes, God. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for the additions, God. Thank you for all the additions you add in our lives, but ultimately it's you. It's you. You're the source. You're the source.